Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 130 of The Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz, I'm your host, and it's with great pleasure we bring you yet another episode. Today's episode was recorded on the uh, Sunday, the 12th of February, 2023, and I've got quite a bit to get through. So I'm probably going to suggest we jump straight on into it, get Chris on the line, enjoy the show. Chris Frame, hello. Hi, Baz. How are you going? Yeah, good. It's been uh, another uh, busy, busy week in cruise, mate. Yeah, and hopefully all the listeners are doing well as well. Yeah, and of course, you've just been away. You've been uh, lecturing on board, which always goes down very well. Tell us more. Yeah, so I just, just got off uh, Pacific Explorer just a day or so ago. Um, did the, the run across from Auckland through to Melbourne mm-hmm. uh, and ended up giving um, four different talks during during the voyage. Um, and really, really interested, engaged crowd, which was wonderful. Um, getting like f- full, full houses in the uh, in the Black Circus, which is the, the smaller of the two theatres on the ship. Mm. And uh, you know, like we even had one talk as the ship was coming into berth at uh, at Melbourne Station Pier because we were a little bit late coming in. Um, and people were in there to, to watch the talk rather than watching the sailing, which was pretty exciting. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and I saw some great photos of the of the theatre there with uh, many, many people uh, sitting by waiting to you, for you to start your uh, your little uh, lectures there. So awesome. Yeah, Love it. That was uh, fun. Yep. Yeah. The ship's looking, I mean, obviously, you and I um, had been on board last year, and uh, you know, inside there's still so much activity and excitement and people coming back to cruise for the first time since the shutdown. So it's uh, a great atmosphere on board. Awesome. Love it. Uh, yeah. Love well, it I, I should say, Baz, sorry to interrupt you, but I, I went down the water slides. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because on our trip, we, we didn't actually um, end up giving that a go, but uh, this time I did, and it was uh, it was great fun, a great addition to the ships, and something that you don't necessarily find on most of the ships mm. that I do lectures on board, so it was uh, it was fun to try the water slides out as well. 
<laughs> and was there many families on board? Because obviously it's not school holidays anymore. Um, no, there's a, there was a handful, a scattering of, um, of, of families and pe- people with younger, younger kids and stuff on board the ship. But um, mostly it was uh, an adults crowd. They had been doing quite a long voyage. It had it, 13 days, I think, in total from Melbourne across to New Zealand and back. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I was only on board for that last little four-day run across the Tasman. Um, yeah. But the ship... You know, it would have probably been a slightly older crowd than even when we were on board last year. Yeah. Um, but that being said, a lot of people commenting that the lectures on board are, are very much welcome because whilst you go on P&O for the casual fun, um, you know, atmosphere, it is nice to have an opportunity to sit down for an hour and, and learn something about the yeah. shipping line that you're traveling with. And many people saying to me, um, they didn't realize that the company existed before Fairstar. And oh, really? uh, <laughs> now they know. So it's great. Awesome. Love your work. Great, great going, you. Chris. Thanks, mate. And how have you, how's your week been? Yeah, good. Yeah, no, lots going on. Uh, Cruz is definitely back. Uh, as I think we might have mentioned in one of my podcasts, we had a big expo a couple of weeks ago um, for, for the other side of my life. And um, yeah, that was really busy. And people just want to get out there, yeah. um, whether it's cruising locally or traveling further afield. I think the only thing that's kind of still restricting people is maybe international airfares are still quite expensive. But overall, um, mm. it, it's looking pretty positive. Yeah, for sure. Yep. And the um the flights that I was on um to and from the ship um we had it was interesting actually because we had a full flight across to Melbourne mm-hmm. and then the flight across to Tasman was was only about half full and I was surprised. Okay. Um but coming back again like the domestic travel within Australia as well is so busy. It's the yeah. planes are so full. Um that you know it is quite difficult to to find um airfares that justify the uh, the expense at the moment, but I think a lot of people are just sort of grinning and bearing it because they just want to get back to the ships. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. too right. Um, now we've got an action an action packed. We've got a pretty full show. Oh. Don't know how don't know how action it is, but uh, oh. we've got uh, lots to get through today. So we've got quite a few listener questions. We've got some maritime history. Um, one of those listener questions actually forms out maritime history, I guess, mm. and it's a question from Dan. Now, just a reminder, folks, if you're sending in a question, tell us where you're from. We'd love to know where you are listening to us from in the world. Um, Dan, you haven't told us, uh, but your question is around the Astoria. Um, there are rumours that Astoria, the oldest op- operating ocean liner he believes uh, could be heading to the recycle yard do you know uh, any further updates on her and what do you know of her history and any significant milestones ha 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 well what a ship to look at significant milestones for because the astoria is actually a very old ship well mm. parts of her are a very old ship because she has been rebuilt um, several times during her career but um, the the hull and some some of the superstructure as well as some of the internal spaces actually date all the way back to post-world war ii um, the ship was ordered by the swedish america line uh, back in 1944 so right towards the end of the war mm-hmm. um, and she entered service in uh, 1948 as the stockholm oh, of uh, course, yeah. for swedish america line yes and you'll know baz that the stockholm itself was a very um, it had a it had a bit of an infamous moment in its history because in the 1950s it was the ship that was involved in the collision with the Andrea Doria. Mm. Um, so this took place on the 25th of July. Andrea Doria was a larger Italian um, ship and uh, passenger ship, and they were sailing off uh, the coast of Nantucket in the Atlantic, North Atlantic, uh, and uh, the the well, I think it was very heavy fog. Um, in the in the area as the two ships were sailing and the Stockholm actually crashed into the side of the Andrea Doria. Now Stockholm is much smaller. She's 
some things like 12,100 gross tons. Um, and Andrew Dory was, was a much larger sort of um, express ocean liner. Uh, but the front of Stockholm was all buckled in and broken away. And of course, uh, tragically, there were um, people who were sleeping in that area who, who lost their, their lives, which is very, very tragic in that, um, in that collision. Uh, but the ship remained afloat. Whereas Andrea Doria took on this big hole on the side of her um, hull and gradually started filling up with water and ultimately toppled over and sunk. So um, there is just, uh, you know, that huge chapter in this ship's history is being involved in that incident. And of course, Andrea Doria is a ship that many people um, know about. And it's a ship that you learn about when you're studying um, marine safety and that sort of thing, because of course of the foggy weather and how the two Mm -hmm. ships were we're so close to each other. Um, interestingly enough, bits of the um, Stockholm have actually been um, seen on the wreck side as well, uh, including the bit of the bow that was um, broken off as well as the ship's original bell, um, oh. which is actually um, was retrieved and then actually brought on back on board the ship when it went back into service. So she's had a really interesting career after that because rather than scrapping the ship or doing anything to take it out of service, they actually rebuilt it. Um, they rebuilt the bow and put it back into service. She then operated in the 1960s for a shipping company in East Germany and mm-hmm. sailed, sailed for them for a number of years. And then in the 1980s, she was um, sold to Star Laro Lines, which is a the company that also owned the um, Achille Laro, which you probably mm-hmm. recall, and another ship called Star Laro, um, and they were they were quite well known for buying old ships and completely rebuilding them into sort of cruise ships. So they did that with the Stockholm, and she got a new superstructure, completely new top deck area, um, and sailed under a number of different names. I mean, she sailed as Italia One. Then, um, yeah, I'm just looking said, at the list here. There's quite a few there. Yeah, do you want? Do you want to, if you've got them in front, do you want to list them out? Uh, I don't know if they're in the correct order. So, okay. um, oh, sure. If yeah, we okay. start with the Stockholm, then it was the oh, I'm not good with my German. Vokka Friedenschaft. Yep, that's how I would have, Yep, yep. <laughs> the Fritjof Nansen. Yep. Uh, Italia One, which you've mentioned, mm-hmm. Italia Prima, mm-hmm. Velto Prima. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caribe, yes. Athena, which was actually very popular down here for, for quite a few years. Yes, she was. Um, and then more recently, uh, MS Azores, and then, as we know right now, Astoria. Yes. So the 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 bit of the um, so it's funny because she was she was operated uh, with the um, Star Laro, of course, and then was kind of passed around to these smaller cruise lines that used older tonnage, so festival cruises. Um, sailed with her. Then she went across to classic international cruises mm-hmm. as Athena. Yeah. She, as you say, she was very um, lo- much loved in that role. And actually, did come down to Australia, but also operated in um, Mediterranean. And she was um, registered in Portugal for that particular service. So yeah, Portuguese flagship. Um, the ship suffered a, a pirate attack <laughs> in 2008 while she was sa- sailing off the Gulf of Aden. So she's had um, a really quite a Dramatic <laughs> history, yes. Um, she then sailed again as Azores, as you said, and then finally ended up with Cruise and Maritime Voyages, or CMV, uh, as Astoria, and with them gained a very loyal following of people who wanted to come on board the ship to experience what is actually one of, was at the time, one of only three ocean liners still in service, the others being Mar- Marco Polo and, of course, um, Queen Mary II. As the, mm. as the most modern one. So she was sailing with CMV until the COVID um, crisis, you know, shut down all of 
cruising. Um, CMV subsequently collapsed and the ship has been laid up in Tilbury for a very long time. Um, it's probably what prompted Dan's question. I, I won't, you know, I won't pretend to know exactly what he was thinking, but there was a lot of stuff in the in the news just recently about it because um, it has been reported that the ship's been sold for scrap and she has left Tilbury and has set sail and, and then kind of disappeared off um, the marine tracker radars. Now, I have been monitoring some discussion groups from people who are, are quite knowledgeable when it comes to um, ships in the UK and, and they, they seem to suggest that maybe she hasn't been sold for scrap and perhaps she's being redeployed or re, re, you know moved to a different location. But in terms of an official statement, in terms of what's happening to the ship, it's a little bit vague. So we're kind of just waiting to see if she pops up under a different name in Turkey yeah. or in India or whether or not, like, say, for example, the, the Satoshi, which was on its way to scrap and then ended up getting purchased by Ambassador Cruise Line and was re repurposed into cruising once again, maybe there'll be an 11th hour um, save mm. for the Astoria because she is, in fact, the, the oldest um, uh, cruise ship, uh, cru uh, ocean liner that does cruising uh, left in mm. um, left in service, Baz. Yeah, we could see if they could uh, use her or preserve her in some way and uh, just for historical significance. But obviously, that's a very expensive undertaking, as we've talked mm -hmm. about in previous podcasts as well. So um, great think, question. Yeah, I think she's owned at the moment by a, an organization that also owns um, the Funchal, which is another small um, yeah. Portuguese, uh, I believe, um, cruise yeah, ship. Yep. So, uh, and she's got a very loyal following. She's been laid up for years. Um, but lots of people who, who adore that little ship. So perhaps perhaps that's a signal that maybe there's some sort of like older ship thing going on here. But mm. um, as I say, there's a lot of a lot of rumors, and it's been it's been reported by by some of the shipping um, uh, you know publications, and then and then the story's been picked up by all sorts of media from you know from around the world, from major news platforms to, you know, travel blogs and that sort of thing. So um, it looks like that was a quite widely spread um, belief that the ship's heading off to scrap. But again, uh, there's, there's definitely some chatter out there that perhaps that's not the case. <laughs> yeah great awesome question uh dan and even better answer chris great and uh oh, just a reminder if uh, <laughs> if anybody has got any questions send them through um you can jump on the website thebigcruisepodcast.com in the top right hand corner click on join the show or simply send an email baz at thebigcruisepodcast.com is the the easiest email address right. now we have got a couple of questions chris this first uh, sorry the next one is actually uh, quite straightforward yasa again you haven't told us where you're from yasa uh, do you feel the ship floating or shaking whilst on board uh, now, this is a question that came through from my YouTube channel, ah, um, okay, that's which is probably why it doesn't say where Yas is from. Um, well, the, the short answer is yes. <laughs> and, um, you know, the ship is a ship is a uh, moving, yes, shaking, not so much. Um, so, you know, when when the ship is at sea, it's uh, floating, you know, in the ocean and um, it, it does move. I mean, we had uh, we had relatively choppy seas on the crossing from um, from New Zealand across to Australia. So the, the ship was, was definitely moving, getting some waves on the bow and that sort of thing. But that being said, like compared to the old ocean liners that were operating with only a bilge keel and no real, um, no real stability uh, mm. built into them, no, no stabilizers or um, gyroscopes or anything like that, the ships today move a lot less generally um, mm -hmm. than, than they did back in the day because they're also much bigger. But... Um, of course, it depends on the seas and what kind of ship it is and what kind of design it is. So you, you do feel the ship moving. I think 
when it comes to vibrations, Baz, the only time that I really notice it is when the bow thrusters and stern thrusters go on yeah. for, for docking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd agree. Absolutely. Exactly the same answer from me. So thanks, Yasser, for that one. <laughs> um, next question comes in from Harry, um, and he's asking, any idea what has become of the tall ship originally built for Star Clipper, then chartered to Tradewinds as Golden Horizon? Uh, we do know that Tradewinds has since been wound up. Um, any further updates? Um, well, it's a bit of a murky one, this one. It's a mm. bit uh, it's a bit like the, the first question. Yeah. Uh, so to go back, this, this ship was indeed originally uh, built or requested, uh, slated for Star Clipper. Um, mm-hmm. But there was some sort of dispute, and it, I did a lot of digging quite a few months ago on this one, and the disputes never really said who was at fault, whether it was the, the shipyard or the uh, potential uh, ship owner. But either way, Star Clipper never got possession of the vessel. Mm. And the, the boatyard, which is Brodersplit, Split, I think it is, in mm. Croatia, mm. Um, they retained the vessel and then decided to charge it onto a new company or a new division of their own, which was Tradewinds, which was based out of the UK. Yeah, But there is a bit of complexity higher up in the company organization and structure that somehow links it uh, or has a link to russia which then obviously the sanctions came in um which were, were meant that this ship couldn't operate until those sanctions were sorted out um but i believe they're still working through that and the ship is still in croatia in uh, split i think it is mm. um where it was originally built um it's an impressive vessel she oh, uh, yes. was built i think was it the f- the SS France? No, not the SS, because it would have been... No, a, yeah, the, the clipper ship um, Yeah, France. that was right. Well, yeah. it's a, yeah. it was a five... Not a clipper ship, sorry. It was a five-masted windjammer, um, which was the France... It was the France 2, um, or I guess France 2 <laughs> in French. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, was a wind, was a windjammer design. Um, but this one here, again, as you as you pointed out, has a very similar profile. It's got the, the four fully rigged masts and a, and a fifth one at the back. Um, a very impressive ship and you know with the modern in sort of interior and safety standards built into it but with an mm. external appearance it looks like those old uh wind jammers from back in the beginning of the 20th century yeah now, i'm sure we'll be hearing more of her in the coming months i, I can't imagine that uh, you know she uh, was she was seized in the uk back in 2000 in 2021 rather over this dispute. that's right yeah that's, that's right yeah yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully we we find some good use for her because she does look impressive, as you say. Well, maybe I mean maybe when all the dust settles, they they'll sell her on to her original um, the yeah. company that originally was looking for her. You know. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Uh, time only time will tell, I guess. Exactly. Um, and that's the questions we're going to include for this week, Chris. Um, we have got a few more in the wings, but we'll save those for a future yeah. show. Yeah, we've got something exciting um, coming up, though, don't we? Yeah, I've got a little sting. Let's just introduce that. Fact or fiction? Okay, Chris, so this is your opportunity to challenge me, I believe. So you're yeah. going to come up with a, a topic or a fact each week and see how little um, I really know uh, about the cruise industry or maritime <laughs> history or whatever topic you're going to come up with. So I've got no idea what you, what you thought of, so hit me with it. Well, I thought I'd start with one that you might actually get quite easily. I'm not sure. It depends on whether okay. or not I'm underestimating or overestimating because it's the first time we've done this. But um, yeah, so fact or fiction, of course, which is the um, the – I guess the overarching theme of this. So I'm going to tell you something, and you're going to tell me whether or not it's true or not, and then I'll explain it. Okay. Okay. Um, so P and O's, um, UK, the, the cruise line, their current mm-hmm. ship Arcadia was actually ordered and built for Cunard. True or false? 
I think you're going to... I think it's partially true, but I don't think it was cool. I'm going to take a stab in the dog and say princess. Uh, okay, so it is actually is actually true. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, Arcadia 2005. Um, I, I should have clarified, oh, naughty me, because there was more than one Arcadia, and you might have been thinking about the previous Arcadia. Oh, my gosh, I've watched oh, okay. the segment up all, all, all together. Okay. No, no, go with it. Go so with it. We'll go with it. Uh, but now I'm going to have to explain two things, right? So the reason why Barry's wrong and the reason why Barry's right. Here we go. The Arcadia of 2005, which is the one that's currently in service, was originally ordered by Cunard um, just after the Queen Mary II was ordered as the Queen Victoria. And this ship was laid down and constructed under Cunard direction at the Fincantieri shipyard um, to be built as Queen Victoria. So it's a Vista-class ship, just like the current Mm -hmm, Queen Victoria. mm -hmm. Um, And it's very, very similar in terms of its design and layout to the Holland America Vista class ships. Very little about the internal floor plan is different from the predecessors, previous um, Vistas. Um, The differences you'll see on the ship, and you can still trace her original origins back to Cunard now, is the mast is the QE2 style mast that Arcadia Mm -hmm. still carries around with her. Mm-hmm. And the funnel is the Cunard style funnel without the cowling, but you can still see where that funnel shape was supposed to have its sort of right, yeah, yeah. red cowling put onto it. Now, during after Queen Mary II ended service, Cunard looked at the success of Q, Queen Mary II and then also reviewed obviously the, the years-long success of QE2 and figured that actually having a, a cruise ship that could also undertake transatlantic crossings and include the Queen's Room, which was their signature ballroom space, which the um, Arcadia's design yeah, did yeah. not, was really important. So during the construction, after the keel had been laid, after the coin laying ceremony, all that sort of stuff was done, after the f- design of the ship was completed um, and all of the machi- you know um, external profile had been agreed, they transferred the ship across to P&O Cruises UK and she was completed as Arcadia. And and then they announced a new Queen Victoria, which ended up becoming the Queen Victoria we've got now, which is longer and doesn't have the glass elevators on the outside of the ship and has yep. the Queen's Room ballroom built into it, as well as a strengthened bow to allow it to do direct transatlantic crossings more regularly than what you'd want to do with a standard cruise ship. Yep, yep. So that's Arcadia 2005. That's the reason why the statement was true. Now, to give you some relief, <laughs> because... There was more than one Arcadia, which yep, I, should, yep. I should have known um, to, to mention. Uh, the other Arcadia, there's, there's, there's a few. There was an Ocean Liner Arcadia, but the, the Arcadia that you might be thinking of was actually originally um, laid down in the 1980s for Sitmar cruises um, right. as, um, as a Sitmar cruise ship. And she was completed for Sitmar and sailed briefly with them. But then, of course, the P&O um, acquisition took place. In fact, she wasn't. She actually never entered service with them, but she was being completed for, for SITMAR. And when mm-hmm. P&O um, acquired SITMAR, the cruising division, they also owned Princess. And so she was moved across to Princess and sailed with Princess as a Princess cruiser ship. Mm-hmm. She then went across to P&O in the UK and ultimately ended up sailing as Arcadia for P&O. This is before the current Arcadia was built. Um, and then um, 
uh, ended up sailing for Ocean Village and ultimately ended up in Australia cruising as Pacific Pearl. Um, and then after that, went to CMV and she ended her days at CMV when the pandemic came into play. So there was an Arcadia that was of princess-ish origins <laughs> with that. And that's the one I was thinking of. That's yep, the one yep. you were thinking of. That was a story I had in my head, yep. Yep. And the current one has Cunard origins. So um, interesting that the two Arcadias have origins, or two most recent mm. Arcadias have origins coming from different cruise lines. Yeah, yeah. It's not unusual, though, for the ships to change. Certainly in Carnival Corporation, they've done that quite a few times where a ship is planned for a particular uh, brand, and then at some point during its construction, it changes. Yeah, no, exactly. And, I mean, this is obviously all pre, um, pre, pre uh, uh, oh, yeah, Carnival. Course, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It was in the era of uh, P&O Steam Navigation Company had a very large uh, cruising division that included Princess Cruises and included... Um, they they acquired Sitmar and actually folded the brand up um, into into their existing fleet. Um, when P and O um, and uh, Carnival, well, when the P and O Princess division and Carnival ended up sort of coming together, P and O Princess had P and O Cruises UK, P and O Cruises Australia, Princess Cruises Aida and uh, Arossa as well. Mm. So they were quite a large group in their own right. Awesome. Love it, love it. I think uh, I think we need to move that, and if not every, then certainly every couple of weeks, that'd be a good little uh, test. And uh, maybe I need to think of a couple of tests for you as well. Oh gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, maybe you do. And look, I mean, I know, I know, I'll get, um, I, we will get messages coming through asking now if we don't clarify. But the different names that the Arcadia you were thinking of had was mm. the the Fair Majesty, which she was named as from. From construction through to 1989, mm-hmm. when when she was being you know prepared for um, yep. service, and uh, then she was Star Princess for Princess Cruises. That was from 89 through to 97. Uh, then she was Arcadia for P and O, 97 through 2003. So she'd left by the time the new Arcadia was built. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ocean Village 2003 through 2010, and that was its own whole owned brand of like leisure cruises for the UK market. Then she was Pacific Pearl for seven years from 2010, Columbus right at the end of her career for a couple of years, and then ended up on the scrapyard um, at the end of her, her at the end of her days as the Colos. Oh, okay. There you go. Exactly. Fountain of knowledge. Well, I need to remember my my suffixes so that you knew which ship I was talking about. So we'll try better for next time. <laughs> but that's our factor. And you know what might be fun um, if people want to leave. Um, suggestions on my on my YouTube channel in the comment sections of um, ah, videos. Yeah. I can well, I some of those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Barry doesn't generally go trawling through the comments of my YouTube. So you can send me uh, uh, ideas there if you want. Um, that's uh, youtube.com slash chrisframeofficial. And I can maybe use uh, some listener or viewer ideas to try and stump you, Baz. Love it, love it. <laughs> Let's take a quick break, Chris, and then we're back with Cruise News. Sounds good. Head over to Facebook now and hit the like button. Okay, Chris, not that much news around in the cruise industry this week, uh, but we're going to kick it off with some news from the Chief Entertainment and Lifestyle Officer of Virgin Voyages. What is JLo up to, mate? Yeah, so she's been, as you say, named uh, um, as the Chief uh, Entertainment and Lifestyle Officer. Um, and, you know, she's got a, a passion to help others uh, to mm-hmm. live 
you know, a very full and engaged life. And that links in really well with, with Virgin Voyages. So they've got this sort of live limitlessly or limitless voyage um, program taking place uh, on board Scarlet Lady from the uh, 14th to the 19th of April. And mm. it's on the, the company's Dominican Days sailing. And it, the whole trip's been curated by Jennifer Lopez um, and as, with, as well as her um, uh, philanthropic organization, which is Limitless, Limitless Labs, uh, which is designed around empowering and inspiring people, um, you know, to take, to take part in life, I suppose. Mm. It's, uh, it's not gender specific, but it is um, uh, really kind of focused on females that are making ship happen um, as the virgin uh, swing on things was exactly and that's you know i mean again it's a, another way that virgin's sort of taking their their brand and their um perspective of cruising and and sort of expanding it to to have more and more programs like this yeah they've got panel discussions they've got entrepreneurs on board to answer questions and help guide people uh, they've got different shore excursions available exclusive events and uh, a whole balance of personal and professional growth plan for this voyage which as you say is taking place 14 to 19 of april this year so it's not too far away sounds fun now this one got quite excited when it landed on my desk chris uh, mm. carnival who are not really known for their longer voyages mm. um they are actually going to be undertaking their longest ever voyage on board carnival luminosa yeah interesting isn't it 31 days as their their length of this particular cruise um and it's going to take in three continents it sails from brisbane mm. uh, heads up to japan and then goes across the pacific ocean to alaska and then ends up in in uh, seattle in the united states so yeah, yeah, quite a so, quite a long itinerary for for a carnival ship, and interestingly enough, Baz Luminosa has non carnival origins as well. So perhaps uh, you know bringing a, a ship in that's got a slightly different uh, uh, layout and take from some of the other carnival ships might might be a way for them to expand their footprint in this longer voyage uh, market. Mm. So uh, that itinerary is cracking, actually. It's got a long, uh, quite a few sea days before it hits Guam, as you mentioned. Then we've got a number of different ports in Japan, including mm. Okwanona, Hiroshima, uh, Yokohama for Japan, Amore, Koshiro. And then we head into Alaska, where we've got Seward, Juneau, Ketchikan, a visit to Hubbard Glacier, and then ultimately finishing up in Seattle on the 1st of May. Um, and uh, if I wasn't a bit time poor, I'd probably consider that one myself, because I do quite like the look of those uh, those ports on that one. Yeah, for sure. Um, next, we're heading to uh, Princess, who have announced that they've got a, a whole series of cruises uh, featuring Yorktown, Virginia. Yeah, I know. And I mean, Yorktown is, of course, a, um, a very sort of famous um, uh, place in the United States in relation to the, uh, the American uh, War of Independence and um, it being the, the site of a, of a significant change in in the in the war with the surrender of the uh lord cornwalls in yorktown back in 1871 so it's a very um a very sort of famous part a very historic part of the u.s um these particular voyages will include um day-long calls there's five five trips and there's gonna they're gonna be in the port for um for at least a day which is great um allowing people to, to go ashore and um you know ind indulge in learning more about the american history 
Yeah, exactly. Three on the Island Princess, uh, which is 2,200 guests and 900 crew, and two on the Emerald Princess, which is a touch larger at 3,080 guests and 1,200 crew. So that's good. Inject some significant uh, income into the region, which is uh, great news again for for Yorktown and the surrounding area. Mm, fantastic. St- Staying with Princess, and uh, we've touched on the fact that uh, the next iteration of Sun Sun Princess is not too far away. They've uh, hit us with some great images of some of their uh, different spaces that are going to be on board. Absolutely. I mean, they've got a three-story Horizons dining room, which is the first time Mm. that Princess Cruise is such a big space on board for for dining. Huge Um, windows. Yeah, massive windows, and it, it stretches from deck six all the way up deck eight. Uh, so six, seven, and eight there being uh, occupied by that space. Um, there's the Princess Arena, which is their big, uh, massive, versatile, contemporary sort of theater space that they're building into the ship. Um, and, you know, I think it is quite a different kind of take. I mean, I think you need to put the pictures maybe in the show notes so people can sort yeah, of Yeah, I have put the pictures up. Yeah, yeah. What we're referring to here. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, and then there's um, Alfredo's uh, pizzeria, pizzeria. Um, which is the uh, you know it, it's they, they've been named home best pizza at sea apparently. yeah I think they've been named best pizza at sea so it's it's kind of like bringing that onto this particular this particular ship but also giving it uh, a new sort of take with the way that they've done the decor inside that space um, then the ship will also have the princess casino um, there's a crown grill on board which is the the, the steak grill on board the mm-hmm. ship and uh, you know. Some princess is the latest in a, in a long line of princess ships, but they do share the name. So, like, Crown is quite nice because it was a Crown princess, so maybe a little bit of a hint of uh, mm-hmm. um, of some of the older names coming through there as well. Um, they've also got an Italian restaurant that they're building into the ship, um, and then Princess Live, uh, which is the um, uh, well, that's their entertainment program, uh, which is taking place in the Explorer Lounge on board. Yeah, and of course, they've still got some of those traditional places which have been across many of the ships, including Crooners, the Wheelhouse Bar, the International Cafe, uh, Good Spirits, and Gelateria, to name just a few. And of course, uh, she's currently under construction in Fincantieri, of all places. Uh, she'll be uh, home to about 4,000 guests when she does launch. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm sure we're going to be rece- receiving more and more information on that. And I have put the images in the show notes uh, for people to take a quick look at those as well. The Wheelhouse Bar, actually, was my favorite space on board. Uh um, well, I think one of my uh, on board the Coral Princess, but it, oh, yeah, yeah. it was such a great piece of maritime history there on board the ship with the links back to the old uh, P&O Princess ship. So it is a nice space, and hopefully, you know, with the the heritage that they're building into Sun Princess with that very famous name that that she's re, re- uh, invigorating, the Wheelhouse mm. Bar probably be a pretty pretty special place on board too. I reckon, too right. And uh, speaking about a bit, a bit of history, uh, of course, Holland America has been known for cruising to Alaska for, for longer than any other cruise line. They just opened up for sale their 2024 Alaska cruise tours, and there's some uh, cracking itineraries, as always, if you're interested in going to the, the far north. Yeah, 16 different ones in 2024, Baz, so um, mm. bringing in a lot of different uh, uh, you know, itinerary options there from um, one, two, or three night stays in national parks all the way through to um, – exploring locations further into Canada um, and, of course, the Alaskan itinerary uh, highlights there as well. So it's a a pretty special sort of group of itineraries that they've put together there from Holland America. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, when we think of cruise lines, we think of the the, the ships. But Holland America's got such a strong infrastructure in in the Yukon. Uh, sorry, in the the, the um, Alaska and Yukon region. They've got their own coaches, their own railroad carriages. They own their own hotels. Uh, they've got this uh, great lodge out in the national park underneath yeah. Denali, of course. So uh, lots and lots to see and do there. And just to tie it back to Western Australia, just a little bit. If anybody is going up into the Yukon Territory, which is the, the uh, back into the Canadian side, so, um, a lot of history around the gold rush around there. Mm. As part of your cruise tour you would take a cruise on the yukon queen and the yukon queen was actually built here in Fremantle. oh well there you go how she found a way to alaska i've got no idea or to the yukon but yeah there's a little bit of wa over in in uh, canada and alaska how wonderful yeah and i mean i've been speaking to people on the different ships since we've been getting back into um back into cruising over the last few months and so many people mention having done Alaska on Holland America line and point out that, you know, the company has that infrastructure there. You know, the hotel is Holland America, the the trains are Holland America, that sort of thing. So I think it's something that really does make them stand out. Um, mm. And they have the grandfather rights there to some of those uh, more uh, delicate parts of um, yeah. Alaska as well, which I think allows them to go a bit further in than some of the other shipping lines. So mm. uh, pretty, pretty cool heritage they've got there in Alaska. Absolutely. And that's my friend. Is all we've got in cruise news for this week. Um, but we have uh, we've got a little segment that we did weave into last week. We've had a little, quite a lot of feedback. Of course, we're talking about losing my. That's right. So uh, we had a number of emails from guests who uh, said they loved that particular segment and uh, the fact that we were talking about what was kind of winding us up or getting on our nerves about uh, the cruise industry or the maritime industry in general. Um, I've got a little gripe this week. Um, sure. It's only little, though. I, I'm not going to bang on about it too right. much. But I've been reading little snippets in the various different publications about how you know, we come. One of the greatest things that came out of the pandemic was the fact that uh, the improvements and changes that were made to uh, the muster drill or the safety uh, yeah. drill. Yep. I've heard that we're reverting back to the 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 bad old days in some instances due to uh, local requirements, and that uh, yeah, the the virtual uh, steps that have been taking place, we're actually going back to uh, donning your life jacket and meeting in a, a lounge restaurant or out on an open deck. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it seems such a shame. I think it's interesting to to sort of think about it from two perspectives, right? Because mm-hmm. from a passenger expect, uh, perspective coming on the ship, it has obviously been great to be able to do it digitally and not to have to use that, what, hour and a half or whatever it is that it ends up being to go to the physical muster station. Mm-hmm. But at every, every cruise I've done since the pandemic, I've s- sort of been on board the ship and wondered if there was an emergency – and an evacuation was required. Would people actually remember what they watched on the video? Would they remember how to get to their muster station if they haven't physically done it? Or would they remember how to put the life jacket on if they haven't physically done it? And so I, I imagine that might be what's feeding into these local authorities thinking, you know, it's repetition and it's muscle memory that makes mm. an evacuation. That's the reason why I guess you go through the safety drill on the plane every time over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah, and I know you don't physically do it on the plane, put your jacket and stuff on but one of the things that used to was is was speaking of gripes Barry one of the things that's a massive gripe for me when we add the mustard drill is that they repetitively repeatedly say rather don't put your life jacket on now just watch the demonstration then you will have a chance to and of course Every mm-hmm. single time, twenty percent of the people there start doing their life jacket when they're trying to explain well, it, it wrong. <laughs> noise, you know exactly. So, the, uh, you're 
the the current way where it's where it's not that kind of inconvenience makes like sense as well. But I'm just wondering if maybe there's like a middle ground where you you do have to go and check in at your master station and you have to bring your life jacket with you, but you don't all have to do it at once. Maybe mm-hmm. that's the better place to be. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Good point. It should be a shame if we didn't somehow kind of find a hybrid, I think, if, mm. if, if it's all possible. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, we have got another segment, but we're fast running out of time. So I might save this for a future week uh, uh, just to give thanks to uh, Weenstar Cruises actually sent this through to me. And uh, it's, uh, you know how we talk about um, the benefits of small ship cruising? Well, mm-hmm. they've uh, highlighted a number of um, places around the world where being on a small ship is definitely an advantage. And um, it probably would take us about 15, 20 minutes to get through all this. So I'm going to save it up for next week. Sure. And uh, we'll we'll come back with that one. But thank you, Windstar, for sending that through. It's it's right up my street and we will definitely include it in uh, next week's episode. Chris, have you got any videos, anything out there that we need to uh, spread the good word on? No, actually. Well, I mean, I did a, I did a short <laughs> video of um, of the bow waves on, on Pacific Explorer, which has been uploaded and it's up there. But in terms of long form, I haven't actually done anything for a while. I, we, we've been spending a little bit of time rethinking how what, what we're going to do with the YouTube channel for 2023. And I think mm-hmm. um, more and more going to, to go back into some of those longer form um, explain explanation videos about how different things work on ships and yep. weave more maritime history back into it again, um, as well as of course um, doing all the uh, the the cruise um, reviews and 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 stories from on board the ships when we when we're traveling as well, which is something I'm really looking forward to this year. So at the moment, uh, nothing nothing that, all that new um, up there for the last few weeks, but there's a huge back catalog of over 250 videos um, that touches on all sorts of things from Lusitania to Titanic to Queen Mary two to princess to norwegian spirit which is still um getting a lot of attraction and interestingly enough baz my pacific explorer tour video has just been going gangbusters recently oh, okay um, i've noticed that it's actually one of the first ones that comes up when you google the ship's name and it's getting yeah. lots and lots of views from from australian audiences particularly checking it out before they go on board and we've got on there pacific explorer pacific encounter and pacific adventure um uh tour videos explorers is the most uh, comprehensive but the other two are are there and they're, they're represented so if you are going on a pno um cruise they're they're great but we've also got the coral princess tour we've got the norwegian spirit tour queen mary 2 victoria elizabeth um seaborn sojourn um, a host of others so it's um it's definitely worth checking out Awesome, Chris. As always, I will put the uh, the link to that uh, YouTube channel in the show notes. It's there each and every week for our listeners to find. And uh, we will talk again same time next week. Sounds great. See you then. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.